and special when God's people begin to sing and worship together in unity and begin to sense and, and feel, not only uh, feel, but experience the presence of the power of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that place. I don't want to go through a ritual. I have no desire. And in fact, this morning as you as you uh, open your Bibles and look at Galatians chapter 2, uh, we're going to continue verse by verse through this wonderful book of freedom and, and setting us free. This past week, I had the privilege of, of being in Birmingham at Church of the Highlands, which is the second largest church in the country, uh, over 55,000 members, and they're only 17 years old. Yeah. 11 different campuses or 12 and just an amazing place, an amazing group of people. I was in a, I was in a room, I, I called my wife, I said, I'm in a, a room full of world changers. I feel so humbled to just be here, let alone to have the opportunity to get to, to speak to those changers and speak into their lives. It, it was a wonderful week. Now, I left on Tuesday, came back on Thursday because Jennifer had her ministry banquet on Thursday night, so I wanted to make sure and be there. I was scheduled to speak at that, and, and I got on the plane in Birmingham, and, and like so many times when I fly Southwest Airlines, and I fly Southwest a lot, uh, they know me well. They send me those drink coupons, which I don't use, okay? I'll just be real candid with you. I, uh, my wife said, what do you do with those drink coupons? I said, I give them away. She said, well, you're helping people become alcoholics, I hope you know. You know, but, but I, I, they were coupons, so I gave them away. But anyway, I, I got on the plane, and, and I was sitting really kind of close to the back. I, I like to sit on an aisle seat just because I like to sit on an aisle seat. And uh, they announced there are 143 seats and there are 143 passengers. To which, when I looked at the seat next to me that was unoccupied, I said, oh, dear Jesus, there's somebody going to be sitting right there. And I'm a big guy. And uh, so as I watched people coming on, you know, it's that dreaded middle seat stare. Everybody sitting in the aisle keeps their head down because they don't want to look up, you know. I'm watching people get on, and I watch these two fairly young Asian students with medical masks come on the plane. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not going to happen. I witnessed something that I hope I never witnessed before, but it was somewhat tragic and yet very comical at the same time. It was one of those things. They got on and they realized every seat was going to be full. And I saw them talking to each other. And I, it was a boy and a girl. And I thought, what are they, what are they talking about? You know, who are we going to infect next? You know? <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, they got to the front of the plane, almost, you know, about four seats up. And they dropped their mask and they said, we have the virus. And I mean, there was this stillness came over the plane. And then there was this, ah, you could hear it. You could see parents. I mean, they petrified that plane. And then a few people began to laugh. I tried not to laugh out loud because I knew what was coming next. 
I mean, the flight attendant moved into action. The security came on that plane and cuffed those kids and took them off. And guess what? There wasn't anybody sitting beside me. <laughs> Lord, you do answer prayer. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But as they were dragging those kids off that plane, they said, we were just kidding. We were just kidding. Let me tell you something, folks. That's not something you want to kid about these days. That's like walking to a mall and screaming fire. I mean, this is a serious thing. That's why I'm not probably going to have you shake hands today, okay? <laughs> Bump elbows or something, you know. But it is, a, it is a very dangerous climate that we live in today in many, many different fronts and on many different fronts and on, in many different ways. But one thing is for certain, when we turn and we look at the Word of God, we find foundational truths that will never change. This morning, I, I want to very simply take what Paul has given me this morning and given us in the second chapter of the book of Galatians, verse 1. We read, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain, but even Titus, who was with me, was, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring, bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they make, Makes what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through mine, through me, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Early in the history of the church, there was a council meeting that and, and it was very, very important. In the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, we have a public account of that meeting and what took place. And in our text, Paul gives us a behind-the-scenes activity that really determined how the council, that first Jerusalem council, turned out. What took place at what we now call the Jerusalem council was very, very, very important. In fact, your life today is directly affected by the decision and the decisions that were made in the Jerusalem Council. The fact that you're in this building this morning worshiping instead of on Saturday is due to that council. 
and the decisions that were made there. If, if, if you're going to, to go out to lunch today and have ham at lunch today, you will do so because of the decision that was made at that council. When you, what you see this morning as you entered into worship, there are no elaborate rituals going on in the service today because of the decision that was reached in that first Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. The great issue of this first council meeting was this. What does a person have to do in order to be saved? That was the question. There was one group of people that said you could not be saved unless you were a Jew and were circumcised and followed the rules and the regulations of, of Judaism. That was the only way they said you could be saved. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul said, no, you are not saved by being a Jew. You are not saved by being circumcised. You are saved solely on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace through faith. So that decision was reached in this Jerusalem council. Look at verse five. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Because Paul stood his ground in this council meeting, the truth of the pure grace of God, the good news that you and I don't have to earn or merit or somehow buy our salvation, Jesus paid it all for us, was maintained in this council meeting because of what Paul did and Paul said, in this Jerusalem council. What I want us to do this morning is this. I want us to take a journey. I want us to journey with Paul behind the scenes of this meeting and exactly what took place in kind of the nooks and the crannies and the corners of that council meeting. There are several features about this council meeting that, that really, really caused me great curiosity and Paul shares them with us. The first thing is this, Paul set forth a doctrinal position. The Apostle Paul at this Jerusalem council meeting made a doctrinal presentation of the essential ingredients of the gospel. You know, last week we, we talked about following Paul's conversion. He went off to a, Arabia for a period of three years, and then he returned to Damascus, and there he, he went to Tarsus, his own hometown, and, and for a brief period of ministry, there Barnabas came and, and took Paul up to Antioch to teach new believers there and instruct them in the things and the ways of God. God was, was blessing the work in Antioch. God was using Paul to win souls for Jesus Christ in Antioch. Now listen to me. The devil is always going to ups be upset when people are getting saved. You show me a church that is growing, and by the way, that's the only direction a church can go is grow. I know there's some debate about that today. We, we think we're to sit. Some of us think we're to sit and soak. That's not who we're supposed to be. We're not even to sit, we're to serve. We're to find our spot. We're to, we're, we're to find our ministry and start serving. Uh, man, it got quiet in here just like that. <laughs> Had a guy tell me this week, he said, I like you because you tell it just the way it is. I said, I know, sometimes I get in trouble too. 
But ladies and gentlemen, Paul, Paul understood that the devil is always upset when people are being saved. You show me a church, you show me a congregation where the emphasis is upon seeing people come to know and personally experience the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you show me a congregation that not only wins them, but disciples those people. And I will show you a church the devil doesn't like. But most of our churches, the devil doesn't even bother attending because he's got them right where he wants them. Ladies and gentlemen, this church exists to share the gospel. And if we're not urgent about sharing the gospel, there is something really wrong. Not, you say, preacher, yeah, there's something wrong with something. No, 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 no. I want you to look inside your own heart. When is the last time you shared the gospel? When is the last time you said, hey, come along to church with me. I want to share with you something that God has done. So Paul in Antioch was seeing people saved, and the devil was not happy. And so a group of false teachers came to Antioch, and they began to stir turmoil in that church. And they created confusion among those brand-new converts because they said to them, no, you are not saved. You haven't been circumcised yet. You must be circumcised, and otherwise you won't go to heaven when you die. And imagine the disturbance that caused in this church filled with new babes in Christ. It would be like me standing here today and saying, all of you folks who think you're saved aren't saved. You, you have to be baptized or you can't be saved. That was the kind of situation that was going on in Antioch. I pastored a church in mid-Missouri that saw a tremendous growth of new babes in Christ. We were seeing people come to faith in Christ. And, and at the same time, as we were growing very rapidly, very quickly, infused in that church, there came people who said to some of those babes in Christ, listen, you really aren't saved unless you speak in tongues. And they began trying to teach these new converts and I, like the Apostle Paul, got really, really angry. Righteous indignation. You see, sometimes people, people say to me, you know, I, I think you were upset. No, you've really never seen me upset. <laughs> I'm serious. You can ask my wife. She's probably seen me upset maybe once. But listen, I get really, really bothered when people begin to try to add to or take away the finish, the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 15, when you read there, you'll find, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised and according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Paul stood his ground. Paul refused to yield to the false brethren who were trying to distort and confuse the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Not only did the Antioch church lead him, but the Lord led him the spirit of god was in this matter it was by the revelation of the holy spirit 
that Paul was led to go to Jerusalem to discuss this tremendous doctrinal matter. He had some companions with him. He had Barnabas. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. I like Barnabas's. I like people who are encouragers. There's many encouragers in this church. And then he took Titus with him. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they pulled in. They parked their camels. They checked into the Jerusalem Hilton. And they immediately went on over and contacted the brethren at the church of Jerusalem. And so he gets there, makes a doctrinal presentation, and he sets forth the gospel which he preaches. And if you look at verse 2, notice that he made his presentation very plainly. I went in there and I laid it before them. Now, the word there, laid it, means he communicated. He simply showed them exactly what he was preaching. He showed them the plan of salvation that he shared with people as he led them to Christ. Paul said, this, this is the gospel that I am communicating. This is the gospel that I'm preaching. The verb there in the Greek language is present tense, and he is saying, this is the gospel not only that I have preached, but I am still preaching this gospel. I haven't changed my message. It is the same gospel I started preaching when God saved me and called me. It is the same message that I preach out there on the mission field. It is the message that I'm preaching to you right now. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The message, the gospel never changes. The message is always the same. The methodologies, methodologies with which we share the gospel Indeed, those must change, but the message cannot change. It will not change. It is very simple. It is a plain message. It is the doctrine that we preach which will bring people to eternal life. Listen, that, that, should, that should bring all kinds of emotion into our hearts and, and, and even bring us to a point of celebration here today because we preach that message. It is the gospel message. When people walk through the doors, they need to know that they're not going to hear something from Dr. Fuzzy Face or, or, or Dr. Who or where, whoever it is. They're going to hear, thus saith the Lord. The, 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 the plain urgency of the message is that people are sinners, all of us. I'm a recovering sinner and so are you if you didn't know it. We are in desperate need of a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot become good enough. Oftentimes people will say to me, you know, Pastor, I want to come to church, but, but I'm not ready to make that, 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 that move. I'm not ready because I, I, I have not arrived. Can I give you a good word today? You're never going to get there. That's like saying, you know, before I get cleaned up, you know, I can't get in that bathtub or that shower because I, I'm too dirty. <laughs> you can come and you can, you can stand in a church for years and years and years. It's kind of like standing in the garage saying, I'm, gonna, I'm, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm a car. No, you're not. <laughs> you're a person. I can come, to, and listen, I believe right now, in, within the listening of my voice, in this worship center, there are people who have neglected and who have put off 
salvation. And the Lord has been calling you. The Lord has been wooing you. The Lord for years has been saying, come home. He's been chasing you. He's been running after you. It's time to come home. It's time to say, I can't, but you can, because you already have. And so Paul plainly puts forth this doctrine. But the second thing is, he also sets forth his doctrine privately. Look at verse 2 again. So I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. (laughs) I like the way Paul puts that. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order that I might make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Those that Paul met were with privately were James, the brother of Jesus, Cephas, who is Simon Peter, and John. And he is recognizing that these men are men of esteem in the church. These were men who were, who were close to Jesus. They were paying the price. They were men who were willing to risk death in order to maintain the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got a lot of craziness going on in the Christian world today. I'm always amazed at how many many folks are out there saying, you know, if, if you'll just give to my ministry, you know, God will bless you a lot more than he'll bless, you know, if you give to this ministry. <laughs> it's, always, it's always amazing to me how people start worshiping the blessing rather than the blesser. Paul was saying, I want to be sure that the leaders, these esteemed leaders understood my gospel. I want them to approve my gospel. Paul gives us a wonderful practice here. He presented both publicly and privately. But then notice, if you will, there as the church congregation gathers, Paul's, Paul has a ceremonial confrontation. They're going to discuss what it is what, what, what does a person, what, what must a person do in order to be saved? And there's several speakers in that meeting. Simon Peter stood up first and told them about his experience with Cornelius. He told them that God had revealed to him and to them that Cornelius and his household, who were Gentiles, could be saved just like Jews could be saved. And what a, what a revelation to his heart. So Paul, or Peter says, brethren, God revealed to me that he is no respecter of of persons and that Jesus Christ is the Savior for all men of all time. Whosoever will can be saved. Amen? Amen. Wow. Peter stands with boldness. Then, then Paul and Barnabas get up and they just tell the story of what God had done on their missionary journey. How that everywhere they had gone, the Spirit of God put his approval upon their work and they, they were just gloriously seeing people saved and born again. And then Paul, Paul does something that, that I like to do. He introduces one of, one of those, those converts and he introduces Titus and Titus comes up to give his testimony. Here stands old Titus. I can almost see him as he stands before the brethren, tears well up in his eyes as he begins to speak. And he, he might have, have said it this way. Brothers, I I was a poor lost sinner. 
I was in pagan darkness. I was worshiping the gods of this world. But these men, these dear men of God, Paul and Barnabas, came to my city and they preached about a God who loved me and a God who sent his only son to die on a cross for me. And something, something got a hold of my heart that day. I walked into a, a gathering for the National Evangelical Seminary several years ago in Havana, Cuba. It was being held at a place called the Lalisa Baptist Church, Baptist Iglesia. My, my dear friend and partner in ministry, Miguel Gonzalez, had said to me, now, Alan, I need you to be on time. I said, I'm always on time. What are you talking about? He said, well, I just need you to be there on time, and I said, I will be there, Miguel, I'll be there. I, I had a friend of mine with me, Roger Leip, and I said, Roger, we have to be on time, and he said, secondly, I need you to have dress pants on and a suit coat. I said, I, hang on just a minute. I can't wear jeans. I prefer that you not. Oh, did somebody die? You gonna have a wedding? What, what in the world? And he said, I need your shirt tucked in. I said, hold the bus just a minute. <laughs> Hang on. I love you. I don't love you that much. No, no, I didn't say that. I said, something's up. Something's up. And Roger looked at me. He said, just do what he says. I said, who? Why in the world are you on his team? I thought you were on my team. We got there. My shirt was tucked in. I had on dress pants. I had on a tie. I looked like, anyway, I, I had on a coat. Do you know what it's like wearing a coat in 94 degrees? It's terrible. We got there, the, but they'd already started. We were 10 minutes early. They'd already started. I mean, the place was packed, and there were young people. And I looked, we found a place to sit, and I thought, what in the world is going on? You know, why did he want me here on a Saturday morning, all these people here? And there was a young lady down on the end of the row, very beautiful young lady, and I, I looked down, there, she was worshiping. Doug, and as she was worshiping, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but as she was lifting her voice, and, and she just, you, you could tell she she loved the Lord. And I, I kept looking down there, and, and my friend Roger said, hey, stop, you're staring. And I said, no, you don't understand. I said, look at her. He said, I know, she's a really pretty girl. I said, no, 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 no. Look at her. Do you love Jesus that much, Roger? I said, she loves the Lord, man. We... We finished the worship time, and then, and then Miguel, of all things, Miguel says, all right, Pastor Allen, please come forward. And I'm thinking, for what in the world? Well, they bestowed upon me the first honorary doctorate from the National Evangelical Seminary in Havana, Cuba. So here I am getting the sheepskin. That's why he wanted me in a coat and tie, because he had a photographer there, and he didn't want me to look like a bum and, you know. <laughs> He wanted me to have pictures of this. and I'm standing there just overwhelmed because I call it my honorary doctorate. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I, I'm standing there with people that I've invested, you know, at that point in time, almost 20 years of ministry. This young lady that I mentioned came up to me. 
She said, Alan, do you remember me? Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> when people do that to you, and you meet as many people as I do, and I said, I'm so sorry. She said, you led me to Christ when I was 15. I went, where, you know, and we began, I said, okay, now things are coming into clarity in this, you know, old mind. She said, you baptized me. Well, I, I, put, the, I put the sheepskin down. I just put this girl right up here. She said, but wait. She went back and got her mom and dad who could not speak a, a, a lick of English, and they came up, and they said, she said, this is my mom and dad. You led them to Christ. And she named the church, and she said, you baptized them, and we, we began to cry again. And then she said, wait one moment. She went back and got grandma. She said, you led her to Christ on your first missionary trip to Cuba in 1992. And you baptized her. And I'm standing there with three generations. And the Lord let me just kind of look back at that sheepskin. And I was so proud of that. I was, and I still am. I'm thankful it hangs on my wall in my office. But I said, Lord, you didn't send me to Cuba for this. But you did send me to Cuba for this. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul, I want you to see this. Paul said to Titus, Titus, this is your testimony. Let me ask you one more thing, Titus. When you got saved, were you circumcised? Titus said, no. You never said anything about circumcision. You just told me that Jesus saves, and I believed it. I'm saved. And when he said that, that's when it hit the fan. That is when the meeting got all been out of shape. These false teachers, false brethren, forced the issue, and I personally believe that these men were not born again. They were not truly saved. They slithered in with, without an invitation. They didn't even belong there. They sneaked on the inside. Look at verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. They were trying to spy out the liberty that they had in Jesus to bring them back to bondage again. They forced the issue. Immediately following the testimony of Titus, they said, this man must be circumcised according to the law of Moses or he can't be saved. They forced the issue. Paul told them that the message which they preach is not a message of liberty. It is a message of slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, when you add anything to the soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ, you have messed the message up. Any message preached which tells people they have to do something themselves in order to be saved is not a message of liberty or freedom. It is a message of bondage. They forced it. Paul faced it. The truth of the gospel is at stake here. Paul maintains the gospel truth. You and I are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Herein is the salvation equation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing 
equals salvation. Paul is simply saying no ceremony will ever get you saved. Then, Paul, in verses 7 and 8, has a personal vindication. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. What Paul is saying is that the gospel was the same gospel they preached. It was the same gospel, not two different gospels. Look at verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God knows and shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul says some really cute things here. What he means is those who seem to be the leaders, the big shots, you know what I'm talking about, the big shots in the church. Sometimes around the church, some people get to thinking that they're the church big shots. We've got them here, I guarantee you. I mean, people start thinking because of their position or because of what they may give or because, no, there are no big shots. There are no big shots. I've been there. I did this. I, I did that. Giving the indication that without them, the church wouldn't be here. It would fall apart. Can I tell you something? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. I'm grateful for influential people. I'm grateful for folks who give and give generously. I'm great, but listen, folks, there are no big shots in church. What Paul is saying is that this. We thank God for spiritual leaders. However, we are all sinners saved by grace who have the privilege of serving Jesus in a church. No big shots, no little shots in the church. We are God's children in this church. Paul was saying they vindicated me in my message. Have you ever thought about this? Here's the beautiful harmony of doctrine and truth. These men, James, Peter, John, Paul, Barnabas, Titus, these men who were involved in this meeting were involved in writing 20 of the 27 books in the New Testament. What Paul preached, Peter preached. What Jesus preached, John preached. One gospel, one way to heaven. His message was vindicated. His ministry was vindicated. Look at verse 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they should be circumcised. I told you that this week I had the privilege of being at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. What a wonderful time it was. But can I tell you something? I also had the privilege of being with one of our members on Friday night in a ministry kind of setting along with another missionary. And that was such a privilege. It was only three of us, not, not 55,000 of us, but it was three. But the same presence of God was in that meeting where two or three are gathered, where, where there are thousands. I'm not 
interested in the number or the accolades. I just want to know exactly what Paul is saying here, that the impact of ministry, whether it's a small meeting or a large gathering, that the presence and the power of God is there. And what he is simply saying is this. There are not two gospels, but there are two areas of ministry. God calls different people to different ministries. Wherever God has called you to work in ministry, don't be intimidated by that. Just get busy serving where God has called you. Now notice, look at verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Perceived the grace. Here's the word. In the Greek language, it is this word, energized. He is saying that the energy of God's Holy Spirit is what made the ministry effective. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what makes ministry effective at First Bradenton. It is the ministry. It is God's Holy Spirit. Here's what happened. James and Peter and John were pillars in that church. When these church pillars saw that Paul had the same message and was serving under the same anointing of the same spirit, look at what they did. We're on the same team. We're on the grace team. And they reached out their hands and said, put it there, Paul. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. They were saying, let's join hands together. Now, I said in the very beginning of this message, we were not going to join hands. I lied. And, and I'm glad we've got antibacterial uh, things on the wall. You can, you can, and I would encourage you, wash your hands a thousand times a day. But here's the message, First Bradenton, for us. Here it is. You ready? Here it is. He wants us, church, he wants us to join hands. He wants us to stop all this silliness. Well, this is what we used to be. Stop. Stop. We're not going back. You're not going back. I, I, there have been times in my life when I, I have said, oh, man, if I could just go back. And the Lord says, no, no, no. And thank God for the heritage of this body. Thank God for the ministry and the long legacy. But folks, God wants us to join hands today and march into the future. He doesn't want us going back. And you see, when we join hands on the grace team together, and we win souls for Jesus in Bradenton, Florida, and in Sarasota, Florida, and in Palmetto, and in Parrish, and even upwards, of, uh, uh, you go north and you go south. This church can have an influence in southwest Florida like you never dreamed. But when we minister to the lives of people in this city, let's get on the team together. Let's go out there and tell a lost world that Jesus Christ saves from sin. Let's be urgent. Let's share that message of, of love first. You see, we love because he first loved us. 
We have a message. It is a wonderful message, and many churches in this day and time are being silent about that message. This church has the greatest opportunity to be the gospel church, the gospel urgent church, the church that when people attend know that they will hear that Jesus and Jesus alone saves. I'm so glad I get to preach. I'm so glad I get to preach this message. I'm so glad that in this season and in this time of my life, I get to be the transitional pastor of First Baptist Church of Bradenton because I love this church. I love you. I love the future for this church. And I'm not just trying to pep you up and push you out and say, hey, just, just feel better. No, no, no. Don't feel better. Begin to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do about what that crazy guy said? What is it? Who is it that I can share the gospel? Who's my one? But see, I think we ought to have more than one because we're surrounded by people. Did you ever think you'd live in a time where you got a socialist who has the potential of winning the Democratic nomination? You say, oh, you just stepped into a lot of stuff right there. Did you ever, did you ever, think, did you ever think you would live a in a time when Donald Trump would be president? I mean, my kids still, they're just so stunned that the guy who used to be a reality TV king is president. I said, well, in many ways, if you just go back and think about Ronald Reagan, who was a movie star, who actually turned out to be a pretty good president. Ladies and gentlemen, we can get so confused with watching. I mean, who would have thought last Sunday... Last Sunday, the stock market was in 2,900. Guess what? I'm going to work a lot longer. And, oh, that's what they all say, especially those that are retired. But can I tell you something? I really don't care. Because to be honest with you, does that really matter whether I retire or not? Probably not. Can I tell you what matters? There are people dying and going to hell. And we have a message. And we'll talk about politics. And we'll talk about the stock market. We'll talk about the weather. But we won't talk about the Savior. God, please make us some people that have an urgency for the gospel. That realize that when it's all said and done, all that matters with every single one of us is, what have you done with Jesus, who is called Christ? Some of you in this room today are faced with that question, what will you do with Jesus? Today, make your stand. Today, come to him, humbly bow before him. And say, Jesus, I am a sinner, desperately in need of a Savior. I want you. Forgive me. I turn away from that sin, and I trust you alone. And the good news is, whosoever, 
shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Not might, not baby, shall be saved. Father.